0: What's up, Pit fans? Welcome back to another Pit Mail here on the Post Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network. I'm Noah Hiles. He is Chris Carter. Carter, long weekend, good weekend for me. As you can see, I got a little bit of color on the skin. Yeah, here. sir, Coming you
1: got to from- chill on Miami. That was not a long weekend for you. You was, was having
0: a long weekend of relaxation. <laughs> I feel like it was a long week. Three road games for Pitt. Two it wins, was. one loss. Uh, we also got to talk to a, a couple of football. Uh, guys, newcomers for, uh, through the transfer portal. So we got a lot to talk about. Um, before we do, let's just talk about the show's presenting sponsor, which is Mike's Beer Bar. Whether if you're in town for Steelers, Pirates, or a Pit Game, Mike's Beer Bar is right across the street from PNC Park. and it has the best selection of beer in town, as well as amazing food options. They have over 20 TVs. And you can catch all of your NFL, college football, Pirates, Penguins, Riverhounds, and Premier League action right at Mike's. Come on in and try one of their 500 different available beers, 300 of them being local beers, as well as their 80 different local craft beers available on tap. You can also get a flight to try out every option you can dream of. And trust me, you won't run out of favorites because I never do, and I'm always there. Try their steak on a stone for an awesome meal where you can choose how hot you want your steak cooked with a heated stone right in front of you as you enjoy a night out in Pittsburgh. Come on into Mike's Beer Bar and get your sports fix and experience the best bar in the Steel City. Carter, a lot of questions to get into here. Um, I kind of like Greg starting us off, and we don't have to spend a ton of time debating this, uh, like the actual strategy I love this behind question. it. Because obviously, this question. there was actually real quick. What would you have done if you were Dan Campbell? I
1: would have. I would have kicked both field goals, but I'm also. Oh. I'm very much of the old school thought like it, it, yeah. it's different in the regular season when you're trying to when you are on the road against a team mm-hmm. like the Niners and you, you you're you you need to keep that your foot on their throats you do not give them any sense of momentum you kick that field goal and if you miss it you miss it but if you if you get stopped that gives them the belief and Nick Bosa said it after the game he's like that's when we knew we had a shot and yep. I, I think you, kick you, that t- field you goal. take the
0: better you take the better route to a three score game in the second half and I agree like, if you make that field goal, you negate their first drive. You negate any sort of progress that just happened in the second half there, uh, and you're back to a seven-point. Their their deficit is exactly what it was when they came out of the locker room. So their most successful drive they've had since the first quarter is what it is. But Greg wants to ask if Pat Narduzzi was in the same spot as Dan Campbell, what do you think he would have done? And I <laughs> yeah, love, this, I love question. this question.
1: This is hilarious.
0: I I think Pat he might punt. No, um, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> oh, um, I think, no, Pat I think kicks because he I kicks because
1: he he loves he he trusts his kickers.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, and like that's not to say that Pat's not aggressive. I think there have been times throughout his career where he has been aggressive. Yeah, been but aggressive. yeah, I mean this this is a guy who, you know, I mean he kicked with. What was that? Was that Blewett who made the kick at Clemson? Yeah, he missed earlier in the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ben Sauls, he's given plenty of opportunities too in games. So, yeah, I, I think Pat definitely takes the points there. I don't think he's anywhere near as analytically driven as Dan Campbell or just even aggressive on fourth down. I think Pat can find spots in games uh, where he's saying, you know what, we're doing this. Um, but I think he's a lot more of a feel guy than a chart guy. And Mm -hmm. Dan Campbell probably could have used a little bit of that actually last night. So that's my thought. Anything else to add on that Carter?
1: Oh, just, I think that it's because Dan Campbell also, I think it's important to remember like Dan Campbell is very, is very much, I'm not sure if he's the analytical guy much as, you know, his offensive coordinator. You know, what, what is is, And I think that Dan Campbell, when you have something strong, you go with it. Because like, you know, when Mike Tom, when he had the offense that was when, that, that was humming, Mike Tom went for on fourth down a lot. Um You know, I think it's about leaning to your strengths and the offense for the Lions was a strength. Uh, but in, in that situation, I, I would have gone. But I, I also feel like I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that Dan Campbell was the was the biggest reason why the Lions lost. They they needed to not fumble you know, after the first touchdown, they needed to catch the interception. that was thrown right to their, right. Just catch their anything. Hands. Just hold catch, on to a football
0: anything. when it hits your hands. Right. If it's like, handed it's, to you.
1: It, exactly. If it's thrown to yeah, you it,
0: by it, your teammate, if it's thrown to you by the, the other team, just catch the yeah. ball.
1: Yeah. You know? And yeah. So it, it's not, to me, it's, I think that it was a mistake and I think it was a, a cost mistake. Uh, and one that I think if it's, if it's, a, if you, it, if, it, if you don't like a coach, you can use against them. But if you're being honest, it's like, yeah, they, they need to learn from that. But uh, that wasn't the biggest reason why they lost, but uh, yeah, Pat would take the points there. I think that that's yeah, Pat would
0: take that. the points there too. All right, Landon wants to know. Pat Narduzzi told the ACC. Landon, we got two questions from Landon, so this is the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Narduzzi told the ACC network last week that Nate Yarnell was the team's starting quarterback. He also made it seem like they will be running the ball quite often. Do mm-hmm. you view this as him already micromanaging his new offensive coordinator, Carter? I'll let you start with this.
1: I don't trust nothing that Patton Narduzzi is telling the ACC network right now. That man is all about smoke screens. I have covered him when he la- when he was straight up like, oh yeah, Kenny Pickett's fine. And then Kenny Pickett wouldn't be playing, and then oh yeah, we're planning on going with Joe Yellen. And then Kenny Pickett was back. Like I- I've seen it for years. I think that Patton Arduzzi loves that there's a mystery for his quarterback room. He does not want us to figure it out. He doesn't want you to break the news again on him. He w- he wants to make sure that everything is-, is behind closed doors. So he'll say, yeah, Nate Irnell because he's he's the guy right now, but. I don't for one sec put much stock into it. They're going to go into spring camp. They're going to see who does well there. And then that'll give us a little bit of an inkling and then we'll see how it plays out from there. But I don't, I don't put much stock into this right now, and honestly, I don't think Pat Narduzzi is going to micromanage the, the, the OC, and particularly because he had to fire a lot of the guys that he trusted for a long time. Andre Powell, Tim Salem, two guys. And you, and you could throw boards in there, but those two guys specifically, Powell and Salem, have been with him since he got here, and he was forced to let them forced to let them go. If I'm Pat Narduzzi, I, you know, I probably wouldn't. If I was Pat Narduzzi, I don't think he would have done that unless it was kind of part of a hey. We need to flip up a lot of things on offense and clearly what you've been doing ain't working. We're going to go with this new guy and we're going to give him some, some autonomy, not complete autonomy, but some.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, I'll say this about the Yarnell thing. I mean, he said this when the season ended before he hired, before he fired an yeah. offensive coordinator, before, before he hired an offensive coordinator, before he brought in another quarterback through the portal. This is what he said. This is a guy that he picked up. He, 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 made the call that Yarnell was mm-hmm. starting those last two games. That mm-hmm. wasn't Frank's call, like he said the other decisions were. That's true. So That's true. this is what he wanted. And so and, and Pat Narduzzi has to say this. He can't just go back on his word before right. the spring season starts. Now, the moment spring ball starts and you actually see Eli Holstein throw a ball in Cade Bell's offense, or you see Christian Vayer throw a ball in, in Cade Bell's offense, that might change. But they have not started organized practices yet. They're just working out. I mean, one of the three quarterbacks competing for the position just moved into the city like two weeks Mm -hmm. ago. So, yeah, yeah, he's got to say Yarnell. Of course, right now, Yarnell. But the spring season hasn't started yet. The offense, I mean, Cade Bell, I don't even know if he has a house in Pittsburgh yet. He's been on the road recruiting since he's got the job. So I don't know how much of this offense is already even being installed at this point. I'm sure they're looking through it. I'm sure there have been meetings, and I know the team has met with him. Um, but yeah, like I, I just don't think there's anything for him to, to say otherwise right now. It's The competition hasn't started yet, so you got to go with what you ended your last year on and what he said at, at the postgame presser after Duke was that Yarnell was going into the offseason as the starter. So that doesn't surprise me. As far as micromanagement goes, I wouldn't call it micromanaging, but I do expect Pat Narduzzi... To have a maybe a wish list for Cade Bell, he's gonna say, "Look, I'm gonna let you do what you want to do, but mm-hmm. I need you to check a couple of boxes for me. I need you to to have a scheme that does not turn the ball over, because I think Pat Narduzzi hates turnovers more than probably anything in life aside from losing. Like it's losing than turnovers, and then you know questions from me." And then, then, but I'm just kidding. But overall, in a, in a serious note, like he doesn't like turnovers, so that's probably one thing. He's like, I, I want splash plays, but I want them to come with you know, without a ton of risk. And I think another thing is, yes, he does want there to be a ground game. Now, you know what? Him telling the ACC that there's going to be a lot of running. Who knows? Again, these players have not even started practicing the offense yet officially, so. I think he does want a run game just because he wants his defense to be fresh. That's always his philosophy. And you could talk about any coach in the country, a college Mm -hmm. or professional, and even if they are defensive guys or a CEO, they want to let their offensive coordinator have freedom. And even the offensive coordinators with the most freedom, they still have to go within the parameters of what their head coach's overall vision of the team is. And if his vision is, you know, we can't have our defense on the field for 40 minutes. Then that's what you got to do. So I don't call that micromanaging. I think that that's just having your employee operate within your deadlines as a head coach. So that's what I would have to say on that. Is that fair, Carter? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Landon part two wants to know, man, Landon has been tuning into the ACC network. Uh, another thing our dudes, recent comments, uh, Another thing, Narduzzi's recent comments to the ACC Network. In another interview, Pat was asked what he had learned from last season, to which he said there were things he couldn't mention. That's a very Pat answer. Uh, what do you think he was talking about? Um, I think if I had to guess, not even have to guess, I've, uh, going off of what I've had discussions that I've had in the offseason since these new hires have been made, particularly since Cade Bell was made. I think w- the difference we're gonna see in practice is a lot more team instruction for offense. I mm-hmm. think there was a lot of individual individualized position coaching when you can do that. You can get your offensive lines timing down and your receivers can run some crisp routes. But I think it's fair to say that the 11 men on the field for Pitt's offense were rarely on the same page. I agree. There was a lot of false starts. There were a lot of fumbled handoffs. There were a lot of illegal shifts or formations. There were just a lot of self-imposed mistakes. And so maybe what he's saying here, where he talked, because the quote, yeah, he said there were a lot of, there were some things we weren't doing in practice that he couldn't mention he's obviously not going to tell you his program's biggest flaws on national television. That's right. He's smarter than that. Um, But I think, yeah, I think that there's probably going, I think he, what he's probably alluding to is they, there needs to be more group instruction. And I think that that's going to be something that we see with Cade Bell. I think there's going to be more of a focus of, Hey, we need to work on things together. That way you're more comfortable practicing with, these blocks with a running back actually running behind you while you're making them mm-hmm. or making this throw with your center standing in front of you and throwing through windows. I think that's going to be more of a focus.
1: I, I think part of what he was referring to one is the fact that this is, that was his first ever. Was that, was that his first losing season? No, he was five and seven. Second. Once. Yeah. Second. So it was the second losing mm-hmm. season in a long time at Pitt, worst season by far three and nine, I bet you there's a lot of things Pat going can say he learned about last year, but I think one thing that will take priority uh, is probably involving the instruction. And Pat's a guy he doesn't want to throw his coaches under the bus unless their name's Mark Whipple. Um, you know. But uh, other than other than him, um, and I guess Frank Singletary kind of got there too with the, with the whole. Oh yeah, uh, Frank or,
0: Frank has some time yeah, traps so ne- on his. Never mind on his coach. Uh, so, Cade Bell, oh, yeah. you
1: better watch out. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, seriously. But like guys like Salem, guys like Powell, guys who have been loyal to Pat, and he's been loyal to them. And I know for a fact that like. There is a lot of trust among all, and not just those guys, but like guy, you know, guys on the defensive side of the ball. There's a reason they want to stick around. They like working with Pat Narduzzi. They think that they, 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 they have, they have. There's a trust factor there that they can carry with them wherever, wherever they go, and they want to have that. You know, Pat Narduzzi, he fought for his assistance to get raises as soon as they won the ACC championship because he was like, no, we got to keep this crew together. I think that he, there, there are probably some coaching things that they, that he probably. Felt like, hey, in the past, and we've asked this asked him this question during the season, and he kind of illuminated it on a little bit. We've asked him like, when you see something that you think shouldn't be the way it is, like you disagree with it. How often? When do you step in, or when do you trust? the guy the coach that's handling that situation to handle it and he said that's part of the toughest decisions in coaching because there's sometimes I disagree but then there's there's plenty of times I've disagreed and then we've gone into a game and that's been the thing that's won us the game and he's like sometimes you have to trust your coaches the best coaches are the ones that balance it and get it right more, more a lot more often than not and I think that that's where he probably saw some things last year that he didn't think that that was the way it should be approached and he kind of kept his hands off it until it was too, and, and then it didn't work out and it cost the team. So I wonder what will that beat pace be with the, with this new staff coming in guys that are going to be new to the program. He doesn't have that those relationships with him that he did have with these other guys. That's going to be an interesting question. And I think it's going to be a, a big challenge to manage the, the, the coaching staff in a way and in, in, in a way when you got these guys coming in and uh, you know, I'm, I'll be intrigued to see how he handles them. You know, if it's any similar to how he's handled other guys.
0: Yeah, and I want to make something really clear here before we move on. I'm not sitting here suggesting that they didn't do any team instruction last year or over the right. past two years under Signetti. Uh, they did. I'm saying that it clearly wasn't enough based on how yeah. they looked. Yeah, they weren't a cohesive unit. And so I think that that, and again, this is off of a com- conversations I've had with sources, you know, who were around last year and who are coming in this year. And I I think that there is a new vision about how they're going to go about constructing their practices. We'll see how that Mm -hmm. goes. But I'm not sitting here saying that they never did group instruction, because that would be incorrect to say. I know they did group instruction. They just probably didn't do enough of it. Anyway, we'll move on to basketball now. This is an interesting question from George. He wants to know, at what point is good effort not enough for Jeff Capel? I understand that this is a young team, but we are far past the beginning stages of him trying to build a program. Is it wrong to be frustrated with the sense of pride that still comes with moral victories? You want to start here, Chris, or shall I?
1: Sure i could I could take this here um I think part of it is acknowledging what kind of team this was this year, like both Noah and I came into the season and was like, we don't know if this is a tournament team like like you know this is the team with young guards. we need to see what they was doing. There was certainly some promise early on, but we said like the bumps were coming in the road, and they've certainly hit those bumps um you know with with freshman guards uh with a front court that needed to prove itself. Um, you know, the twins had not balked up. They, you know, the guy that might've been, you know, the answer for them at the five, you know, over Federico and Papa Conte got hurt before the season started. Like, and then these aren't excuses. These are just, real realistic like these are the things that that, that Pitt's going through right now um and they had they have, last year they won with a team that was able to reestablish some culture for the program that hadn't been really been there anything to build up build upon in, in the years prior so yeah it's not the same as the, the beginning stages for him like i think you get, you kind of give a wash for the first 3 years of cable and then when you look at what what else kept happening you know players just making you know getting getting arrested you know away from the program injuries at the exact wrong times like Isabonde getting knocked out at the start of the season uh before they even get get on the court um they they faced a lot of adversity so i agree like listen i hear the frustrations it's tough um but I think it depends on who you're, you're, who you're talking about the frustrations from. Because a lot of people at the end of the game, and no, I want to get your thoughts on, on this here. A lot of people at the end of the game said that was the worst play call that they could have called for Jalen uh, you know, to give the ball to Jalen Lowe in that situation. And I was like, I'm not going to say it's the worst because you know what? They got him one on one with a center out of position. I think you you wanted to see, hey, that kid just drained a shot over Kyle Filipowski in a right. must have situation. In, in an extremely hostile environment, a week before that that game, I was I was okay with giving Jalen Low a chance to be the decision making here. It didn't work out. He also got fouled. Uh, but I, yeah. I think that there's times we, we we look at uh um we look at how things play out, and because things didn't work, we say, oh, this is on coaching, and this is this is on that. I think that if this was a team that if bub if bub Carrington and Jalen Low were juniors and they had been on the team and they had been excelling for years. And this, and they had brought in all this other talent, and this was the team that was supposed to be a top level ACC team. I would hear you, but do not put the weight of the failures of Xavier Johnson and Audis Tony in those years on this team because they're struggling right now with what's clearly a very young squad. I think Jeff Capel is doing a good job developing guys. I think that he needs to add more pieces after the season is over. And I still think they they can make an interesting push here and be a bit better contender in the ACC as this season goes on. But I I think that part of this frustration is building off of the past failures that's just been pit basketball since Jamie Dixon left.
0: Yeah. um, I agree with pretty much everything you said there, but I want to say on a different note, I mean, what do you want him to say? Like there, there's yeah. just certain yeah. things that it's like, it's coached.
1: We suck and guys.
0: While, well, yeah. Like we lost again questions, you know, like <laughs> you got to point out your effort, you know, like that's just, yeah. it's, it's, I don't really like those quotes, you know, like every, uh, like every post game presser from Jeff starts off first off, you got to give credit to team X if they X, lose X, X, or, yeah. you know, first off, you know, he always gives credit to the opposition to open. He already says credit to team X. And if they won, you know, they played a great game, blah, blah, blah. Or if they lost if Pitt beat that team, he'll say, you know, they were a tough opponent, blah, blah, blah. Like that's just, that's just a formula of rhetoric on his end. And I, I get why it seems redundant to fans who have been waiting for him to make this a more stable program over the last, whatever it's been now, five, six years. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah like, what else do you want him to say in those areas his team did keep fighting and I understand yeah. that you got to start finishing those battles Um, and it's okay to be frustrated that they're not finishing those battles he's frustrated too but again what do you want him to say there and I mean I can tell you what I want him to say I mm-hmm. want him to say you know this is X player's fault because that's going to be a lot more of an entertaining story to write but mm-hmm. that's not good for Jeff. That's not good for the team. That's not good for the program. He has to be composed. He has to say. He has to say the right things rather than maybe what's actually on his mind. He's pissed. He's not sitting there going home afterwards, being like, you know, he doesn't get off the podium and then skip to the locker room and be like, "Golly gee, my team had a great effort today. I could care less about the result." It's not who he is. He's he's right. livid. As soon, I mean, I, I'm. Most road games, I make the walk with him back to the Mm -hmm. locker room to talk to players. It's an awkward walk. It's an awkward walk. He is not in the mood for small talk after those losses. And I get it. He has to just say what he has to say. He's frustrated. He wants to win just as bad as all these fans want Pitt to win. I can promise you that. And I don't think they're super far away. As far as the play call goes, Carter, I agree. I thought it was a good call. First off, Jalen Lowe's been this team's best player over the last
1: month.
0: There's no debating it. I mean, we could talk about Blake's individual effort against Duke. That was the Mm -hmm. best single game performance. But if you look at what Jalen Lowe has done really since Christmas break, since December 30th to now. So this comes out on January 30th. Over the last month, Jalen Lowe has been the most efficient player. He -hmm. has shot the basketball the best inside and outside. He's the only guard that can consistently get to the rim. He doesn't get into foul trouble. And he makes shots. I mean, he was the reason they fought their way back into that game. He he was the difference maker yeah, in that game. Absolutely. You put the ball in your player's best hands, or your best player's hands. Jalen Lowe's the best player on this team right now. Blake is the most established player. He's the leader, mm-hmm. and he can be the biggest difference maker. But Jalen Lowe is the best player on the team. Je- Jeff said after the game he wanted it in a guard's hands. They put it in their best guard's hands. There are other options. But that's Jeff can't make him go with a different option. He can draw up a play and say, these are your options. Like you pointed out, Carter, he got a one-on-one isolation opportunity with five seconds left at the elbow, a spot that he's pretty good from against Mm. a center and a tall, and not a tall center for that matter. He's six foot seven, seven, maybe like like five inches taller than low. A guy who shot a three pointer in the eye of a guy who's 11 inches taller than him the Mm -hmm. weekend prior. So he got the look that he wanted. It is what it is. It didn't work out. I understand that some people wanted Blake to take that shot. Blake had a chance to take that shot, but Jeff drew up a play to get his best player, best current player of the ball and mm-hmm. let the cards fall where they went. And it just didn't work out.
1: I think one thing on, on the note that you said about, you know, Jeff Capel skipping to the lock, not skipping to the locker room after a win, like he's, he's happy. I, I think it's very funny. People do not understand the first elements of today's coaching. You cannot back in the day, if you were a coach, you could crush whoever you wanted. Right. In the media, whoever, because you know why? Because they couldn't go nowhere because there mm-hmm. were no other options. You cannot do that in today's in today's no. call any any sport. Not even the that's why NFL coaches are, are struggling because you know what NFL players can be like. You know what? Trade me. I have right. I'm, I, I'm or just or not I'll sit play. out. Yeah. Yeah. So like people have to understand like the the military military. Like oh, I'm gonna put my fist, my fist down on this guy and he's just gonna have to listen. You can't play that card all but like maybe one or two times. And because, like, because the thing is, you got to make it count. Even heck, even Chuck Noll used to be like that. Like, there were times that he wouldn't get angry until it was the right moment. Cause he, and that was back when you could just do whatever you wanted. Right. You could tell Bell Blunt, sue me. I literally do not care. You will be playing cornerback for, for us next year. For Jeff, he has to not only, I, I think one of the best things that he said this year was when he was talking about. how how he works with how he coaches guys, you, you tell them the truth. You, you, you put confidence in them, you believe in them and you get them to believe in themselves, but it doesn't mean you don't lie. It doesn't mean you lie to them and say, Hey, you're doing great when you're not, but you tell them the truth and you put confidence in them. That's, that's what coaching is nowadays. And it's, I think that's what, and, if anyone wants him to just be like, ah, Jalen Lowe was an idiot there, that'd be the dumbest thing you could do. And if, Jay, right. if if Jeff Capel said that, I would say, yeah, then he has to go. But he's never done that <laughs> to any of his players.
0: And that's why the guys who do that aren't around anymore. That's why so exactly. many of these old school coaches are retiring from college football, college basketball, because mm-hmm. it's a transactional game. It's free agency every year. Yep. And in any sport, you got to be careful what you say about your free agents because one one thing can lead them a step closer to the plank. So I completely mm-hmm. <laughs> agree. And he's he's said he's said this to us a million times that you can't you can't say that anymore. And it's just not a productive like overall, even if they don't have the freedom, it's not productive to just crap on 18-year-olds. You know, right. like there's a way to do it with building confidence. It's a way to a way to hold people accountable while also installing confidence. And I think Jeff toes that line pretty well. Mm-hmm. On the note of confidence and, and and accountability mike wants to know which of the forwards on pitt's roster do you feel which which of the forwards on pitt's roster do you feel provide the most long term value i'll start with this um i'll say papa cante
1: no i was just gonna say that's my answer too <laughs> i I don't,
0: I don't know i mean like i don't know what you do with the front court guys right now yeah, Pitt it's tough. Movie. like i, I like it's hard to imagine a world where only one Diaz Graham twin is around right right but I don't know what your roster what your roster gains from having Jorge there if you know what what has he really displayed through two seasons if he's gonna if yeah. he's out for the year which I've been told um. You know, what what are you, what are you getting with having him as a junior? If if Amde comes in or Amdi comes in uh, next year and he's just as good of a player as a freshman, then, like, what are you – didn't they just kind of do that same thing with Nate Santos this last offseason? Yeah. You know, and Will Jeffress, same thing. He's got eligibility, but can can you find someone with more value than him in the portal? I get he's a leader, but what's that leadership brought this year? 12 wins? You know, so that, and and even Guillermo, who is probably their most productive, at least offensive big, um, can you go get that elsewhere in the portal? Probably. I I don't think, and like, obviously, you don't want to just completely blow up your front court and everything, but Pitt isn't a team where it's like you can just go out and get a Hunter Dickinson in the transfer portal. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying with what they have right now, value-wise, Pitt can't afford to replace it pretty easily um, through the portal. It, 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 you're not getting a ton. I think Fetty still has the most long-term value because of what we have seen him do. And Guillermo's yeah. not far behind because I think Guillermo can be a decent player. But with Jeffress, with with Jorge, I I don't see... Unless something changes this year... And I understand they're both great to talk to. They're both good kids, uh, and they they deserve to be at Pitt. But I don't know if you're better off bringing both of them back next year. So the most long term value is somebody that is completely unproven, and that's Conte. I think that's my answer.
1: Uh, listen, Conte is it, it, it presents a really good chance to reset what they want to do in the front court. You know, this is I, I think that's another part of this was that Federico was never supposed to be the star or the, or right. not the star. But he was never supposed to be the guy that, that drove the, the the forwards as far as the paint play. That was always supposed to be John Hughley. And then John Hughley did what John Hughley did. And so he's out of the program. Um, and so they've had to reset things. The twins were supposed to also be support in that department. Like, you know, if if things had worked the way that, you know, that. that You'd hope that it worked for Pitt. John Hulu would be the starting center right now. He would be really physical. He would be helping Pitt dominate the paint. This would be a whole different looking team. They're reeling from that. Conte came in. He was supposed to help with that. Maybe not be dominant, but be the guy that could emerge the way that Jalen and Bub have emerged for them. He got hurt. He's he's out there. So Conte is the obvious answer. But I'll say this about Guillermo. I think that Guillermo... He's getting better with knowing when to do certain things. I also think he's getting—he is getting stronger. Like he's still not where you want him. He still gets knocked over very easily. But I remember—not that he was as, you know, light uh, in in weight uh, of as Guillermo. But I remember Aaron Gray when he first got to pit in his first two two years. There were times he looked completely useless. Like it like despite his seven, like there were times he was just like that. That guy—he's not—he's not built for this. And it was like late his junior year. That guy figured it out, and it was like, oh, that's what they've been working on. And then his senior year, he was a bad man, and like that's it took time to develop. And who knows? Maybe it'll take Guillermo and Jorge time to develop into being those types of players. Guillermo's clearly an asset right now to the team. You wanted to be a better asset than he is, but he. But I, I think that there's time. There's ways to grow there. So I'll still say Guillermo as far as players that are playing right now, because I think in two years' time he can grow into a much more dangerous player than he currently is. I think that Jorge can as well. Um, you know, he's injured like you said, but um, you know, I think that they they still have potential there. But that should not stop anybody from reinvesting and going and getting in and better players. That's just today's college basketball. Just like players can leave you you can go and get better players. Pitt's got to do that ne- next next year. I think they cannot just come back and just hope everything's going to be hunky dory uh with the uh with the front court.
0: All right, then we we wrap this one up with uh, a question from one of my favorite accounts on Twitter, Ghost of Whip. Uh, just very entertaining. Salute, salute Twitter to account. Ghost,
1: he's hilarious.
0: <laughs> Shouldn't he be Ghost of Cignetti now?
1: Nah, Mark Whipple's too legendary for that. Nothing not against right, Frank, but like Whip yeah. had some great, great liners out there, man.
0: All right, fair enough. Uh, he wants to know, this is a fun one. If you were able to take one player off of each of Pitt's rivals – in this case, West Virginia and Penn State, what two current players on the rivals' teams would you bring on to Pitt's current roster to improve it? So Carter and I did a little bit of a – we doctored this question a little bit. So he's going to go with football, and he's going to go with last year's football team. Yeah. So a player from last year's Penn State team and a player from last year's West Virginia team that could have improved Pitt. I am going to go with current basketball players from Penn State and West Virginia. Chris, who do you have for football? For Penn
1: State, uh, I'm beefing up what should have been the big biggest strength for Pitt last year. That's its offensive line. Penn State, you go get Oli Fashanu, the guy that's going to go top ten in this year in the NFL draft. You had that tackle to Pitt's offensive line. Ooh, boy, they are they are doing some damage. And then I'm going to double up and go and get Zach Frazier out of West Virginia, another dude who's going to go you know in, at, at least the third round, but I think he could go this, 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 this the second round. And shout and, and shout out to Jake Cradle. He's the man. Love love Jake. He's done a lot of great things for the program, but. Zach Frazier going to the guard. NFL, yeah, oh, yeah, and moved, I would say move, move, Jake the Guard, which yeah. he's done. He can, he can be yeah, versatile. He did. But you add those two stars to the uh, Pitts offensive line, <sighs> Rodney would have been running people over. Sebo would run, like, that team would have been so much different. And I still think maybe Phil, you know, Phil's probably still struggles, uh, you know, throughout the year and, and stuff. But like you probably. would, it would have you would have been so much easier to mask that. With that, with that dominant of an offensive line, because those would have been two NFL players on your O O line, it it would have made this another great draft class for Pitt. Because then I I think that the team would have been better, and then maybe MJ Devonshire, Marquez Williams, AJ Woods, they're being looked at in a different way. Also, shout out to AJ Woods; Uh, he got he apparently did impress some really good people uh, at the shrine at the Shrine Bowl. So uh, good for him. Marquez out there still still proving it. Um, I I think that those guys. Uh, they'd get get a little bit more play because Pitt would have been a better team this year. So those are my two. Who are your guys?
0: Yeah. I mean, imagining an offensive line with Gonsalves and then the Penn state guy as the tackles is a pretty good offensive line, you know? (laughs) So uh, my two for basketball, uh, I think the the obvious of the two here is Jesse Edwards, putting him at center, taking him, plucking him from West Virginia. I mean, he was a guy that was really good at Syracuse um, and just, having any sort of defensive presence in the paint with also paired with competence on the offensive end. That's exactly what this team could use right now. Um, and another thing they could use is a veteran point guard. Um, so that's why I'm plucking mm. Ace Baldwin Jr. from Penn state, a guy who took VCU to the tournament last year, a guy who gave Pitt, you know, some problems uh, last year. So yeah, I, I like Ace Baldwin and Jesse Edwards as my two picks. For me, uh, yeah. So that's it, Carter. Another mailbag in the books. Any final thoughts? I'm
1: oh, just excited to see what Pitt does when they return home after the long road trip. Do they do they reset things? They get a chance to play Wednesday, so they get an extra day off there. Uh, so I'll be intrigued to see that. Stop by as always and see us in the press box if you're headed to the Pete. Uh, always happy to chat with people who are fans of this show and fans of our work.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, we will have a lot of good stuff coming out this week, um, Pitt with a big game Wednesday against wake forest. Like Carter talked about, we'll also be talking to a couple of players, newcomers from pit football, including one Eli Holstein. He will be talking with us this week on the South side. So a lot of good stuff to look forward to. As far as our coverage, you can check out all of the Pittsburgh post-gazette sports coverage at post-gazette.com. And you can check out all of our commentary here on the post-gazette sports now YouTube channel and podcast network. He is Chris Carter. I'm Noah Hiles. We're signing off saying we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.